The sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is May 8, 2020. On April 28, 2020, the USPSTF released a final recommendation about prevention of tobacco use in children and adolescents. It is recommended that primary care clinicians provide interventions, including education or brief counseling, to prevent initiation of tobacco use among children and adolescents. Note that it doesn't say prevention of smoking. It says prevention of tobacco use because we know that vaping is a thing about among youth nowadays. This is a great B recommendation, which means there is moderate to substantial benefit for this service. Now, an update about COVID-19. As of May 4th, 2020, the CDC reports a total of 1,160,000 cases and 68,000 deaths due to COVID-19 in the USA. It has been a rough year so far for humanity. On May 1st, 2020, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization to remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19. Remdesivir can be used in hospitalized patients with severe disease. This medication may shorten the time it takes to recover from the infection. It is given intravenously only. The issuance of emergency use authorization is different than FDA approval. Let's stay up to date as this pandemic continues to evolve. Welcome to Rio Bravo QE, the podcast of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program, recorded weekly from Bakersfield, California, the land where growing is happening everywhere. The Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program trains residents and students to prevent illnesses and bring health and hope to our community. Our mission is to seek, teach, and serve. Sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, we are providing compassionate and affordable care to patients throughout Kern and Fresno counties since 1971. As you would have people do to you, do to them. And what you dislike to be done to you, don't do to them. Taken from Al-Kafi, a part of the holy books of Islam. This is a wonderful quote. In a way or another, the golden rule is preached by many major and minor religions. Do unto others as you will have them do unto you. I think it's a wonderful rule, and uh, I wanted to reflect on that. So today we have a very sweet guest who is very positive, and she's also a hard worker. Welcome, Dr. Claudia Carranza. Thanks for accepting my invitation to talk to us in front of the microphone. Again, because you have done it many times already. <laughs> As you know, we asked five questions in this podcast, and we'll start with question number one. Dr. Claudia, tell us who you are. Uh, hi. Um, hi, everyone. So my name, as Dr. Arias said, is Claudia Carranza. I'm a second-year family medicine resident in the wonderful Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program in Bakersfield, um, California. I grew up in Peru, and then I moved to the States for college. I attended a couple of community colleges uh, before I transferred to UCSD, where I completed my biology major. 
Then I actually took a couple years off and I worked <laughs> before I went to Ross University School of Medicine in the Caribbean, where I earned my medical degree. Um, after that, I did one year of internal medicine residency, and then I transferred to um, family medicine, and I honestly could not be happier. <laughs> um, I'm also a wife to a very busy IM resident, that's internal medicine. I am a dog mom to Chewy. Uh, I don't have lots of time for hobbies, but when there's a little time, I like to do some strength training. Uh, I love dancing, um, to go on walks or runs with my doggy Chewy. Um, I like to cook healthy meals, bake, and hang out with my husband and friends. Uh, my favorite movie is Love Actually, and my favorite sport is swimming. Okay, so... Um we mentioned in the last episode, actually, because you were the <laughs> teacher for Dr. Ihedrika. You told him how to swim. Yeah. And actually, this is the third time that we're talking about that wellness activity. So, Dr. Marquez, it seems like we have to do that swimming activity again this summer. Yay! If the pandemic allows us. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Claudia, for being here. And you're going to talk about an interesting topic today. So, tell us what you learned this week. Um, this week, I learned about the difference between chlamydia tests of cure and retesting. Um, at our clinic, we have quite a few obstetrics patients, and they all get tested for chlamydia as new OB patients. Uh, and this is part of their normal prenatal lab panel. When they are positive, they get treatment. And after treatment, they undergo a test of cure, or you can call it TOC, um, no earlier than three weeks after the completion of the therapy. All patients with documented infection should undergo retesting, and this inclu includes pregnant patients. So when we have a pregnant patient who is infected, we inquire about their partner also and encourage the partner's treatment. Uh, the partners, just like anyone with a documented infection in the past, should have retesting done. So can you give me an example of a patient Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's say we we're in the clinic uh, and we get back results from a patient who is positive for C or chlamydia trichomatis. Um, so one in one of our pregnant patients, so now what do we do? Well, first we have to notify the patient of the result and the need for treatment. The recommended regimen for treatment is one gram oral azithromycin given as a single dose. If you happen to have a patient who cannot tolerate or is allergic to azithromycin, then um, you may treat with either amoxicillin or erythromycin. Um, you have a couple of choices. You can give amoxicillin. There is two types of azithromycin, er erythromycin that you can give, uh, erythromycin base and erythromycin ethyl succinate. Okay, yeah. The only problem with erythromycin is that it has to be given twice or four times a day, so it can be a very... Uh, hard treatment to take for the patient. Yeah. So, um, what else about uh, about the treatment of uh, chlamydia? So, um, remember, after treating the patient and hopefully also their partner, the pregnant patient will need a test of cure. Other patients who require a test of cure are any patients that show persistent symptoms or that were treated using a different regimen with inferior cure rates. And in this case, those are erythromycin or amoxicillin. Okay, they got treated and they got the test of cure after three weeks. Then what? Okay, 
Then retesting is done to check if a patient has been reinfected. This can be done three months after treatment or at their first visit thereafter within 12 months of treatment. Um, now, think you are at the hospital and you have a pregnant patient that comes to triage in active labor. They brought some of their prenatal records and you know that they have a positive chlamydia test. And you say the patient was treated but they did not have a test of cure or you don't have the records to confirm the result that the test of cure was um, negative. In this case, there's usually not enough time to get a test of cure when they're admitted or retest uh, or a retest prior to their delivery. So the patients need to be treated upon admission with one of the recommended regimens. Um, just of note, when treating a pregnant patient, uh, the antibiotics contraindicated during pregnancy and lactation are doxycycline, levofloxacine, ofloxacine, and erythromycin estolate. So um, when you told me about the erythromycin, I actually had to do some research because I wanted to learn what category uh, erythromycin is considered, you know, the A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. And then I learned, and I kind of embarrassed about this, that actually the letter categories for pregnancy, for medications, mm-hmm. uh, they were updated in June 2015 by the FDA. So now all medications are required to include three sections with explanations. Instead of the letters, they have to include these three sections, pregnancy, lactation, and females and males of reproductive potential. Why do I tell you this? because I read about erythromycin, and actually erythromycin should not be used during the first trimester of pregnancy. However, it may be appropriate oh. as an alternative agent for treatment of chlamydia infection in pregnant women, but we recommend that you guys consult the current guidelines from the CDC. Um, but yeah, erythromycin can be very dangerous during pregnancy. So, uh, Dr. Carranza, what about the treatment of the partner? Um, so, another point I wanted to make is that when, with regards to partner treatment, there are certain states in which there is expedited partner therapy or EPT, which is permissible. This means a physician can treat the sex partner of a patient who is being treated for chlamydia. In other words, prescribe their partner medication without having examined them. California is actually one of the 44 states in which EPT is permissible. And I think I was doing it anyways. I was thinking that was kind of like <laughs> undercover. But it's good to know that it's permissible. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> okay, so guys, remember, you can prescribe the medication for the patient's partner or partners if they have sure. more than one. Yeah. So, Dr. Carranza, um, why is this knowledge important for you and your patients? So, uh, chlamydia trachomatis is the most commonly reported sexually transmitted disease. First of all, the reason why it is important to treat a pregnant patient is to prevent infection transmission during vaginal delivery. If infection is present during delivery, the newborn is at risk for developing conjunctivitis or pneumonia. The most effective therapy in the newborn, um, if they develop either or both uh, of the diseases, is oral erythromycin. So you might think, well, if the baby is infected, then why make such a big deal? We can just treat them, right? And the answer is, well, it's not that simple. Um, There are studies that have shown an increased risk of hypertrophic pyloric stenosis, IHPS, especially if the infant is treated before two weeks of life. 
Now you might wonder, pyloric stenosis. Yeah, I have only heard of this in board review questions. How likely is an infant to get IHPS if treated with erythromycin? Uh, you might wonder. There is a study by Rosenman and Associates that compared the use of erythromycin prophylaxis with watchful waiting in a hypothetical cohort of neonates ex exposed to citrachomatis. Um, and for every 30 infants treated with erythromycin, there was one additional case of pyloric stenosis. I think that's quite a high rate of pyloric stenosis. Um, and this would be um, quite a few infants if we let chlamydia go untreated and newborns requiring treatment. Um, and what is pyloric stenosis, you might ask? In a nutshell, it is a disorder in which the pylorus or gastric outlet can become very narrow or even obstructed, which will lead the infant to have forceful vomiting. And this actually requires surgery to fix it. So it's not a simple, you know, side effect. Um, another caveat to treating an infant is that erythromycin is effective in up to 90% of cases of conjunctivitis and approximately 80% of cases of pneumonia caused by chlamydia. Therefore, the infant will need close monitoring and sometimes a second round of treatment. And I want the listeners to think for a minute and just ask your adult self, how fun is it to take antibiotics? And I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that the answer is most likely not at all fun. I agree. <laughs> yeah. There are always side effects and your GI system, meaning your your stomach, your intestines, um, are usually the most affected. Now imagine how a tiny little baby must feel. Right? So yes. I know. I would not want to put an infant through this treatment unless it is absolutely necessary. So if we can prevent it by testing and treating mothers, then probably let's do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I mean, chlamydia should be treated during, during pregnancy to avoid all this uh, stress in the baby. Yeah. And also, I think your knowledge is very important because Kern, or Connie, uh, mm -hmm. the Connie of Kern, is among the first places in the state of California with the most incidence of chlamydia infection, mm. and not only chlamydia, but also gonorrhea mm. and syphilis. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's very important to stay up to date with the guidelines for the treatment of these uh, STDs or STIs. Mm -hmm. So question number four, Dr. Carranza, how do you get this knowledge? Um, I mostly read up to date. Um, I also read AFP articles, um, New England Journal of Medicine, and check the CDC website for updates. I'm not quite if if I'm sometimes not quite sure where I'm, I'm going to be able to find a specific topic. Um, then sometimes I'll just Google what my question is and look through the list that Google gives me to see if any of the sources are reputable or if the articles are from a well-known journal. Then I read the contents of those ones. Yeah, I mean, don't be ashamed to use Google, guys. <laughs> you can also always use Google, but then go to the yeah. the most um, reliable sources. Google's your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where did that knowledge come from specifically? Mm -hmm. For this topic, I initially had the help of our host, Dr. Ariasa, um, and then I read different articles and up-to-date, such as the treatment of chlamydia trachomatis infection uh, or the inf uh, chlamydia infection in the newborn. I also read an AFP article from American Family Physician, Chlamydia Trachomatis Exposure in Newborn, and the CDC Legal Status of Expedited Partner Therapy. Um, I read a couple other articles, but the details are on our website. Excellent. Good job. So thanks for talking about chlamydia today. 
And I think um, chlamydia is a very common infection, guys, and you have seen it many times in the the clinic and in the hospital. So hopefully we can prevent any complications in the newborn and, of course, in in the pregnant woman, too. So let's treat it. Let's just remember yes. to treat it. Thank you, Dr. Carranza. Oh, no, thank you for having me. All right, see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Speaking Medical. Hello, this is Dr. McGill, and I will be bringing the medical word of the week. And this week, the medical word is cataplexy. Cataplexy is a mostly triggered transient muscle weakness. Most episodes are triggered by strong, generally positive emotions, such as laughing, joking, or excitement, especially after this podcast. Episodes may also be triggered by anger or grief in some individuals. Cataplexy develops within three to five years of the onset of sleepiness in 60% of people with narcolepsy. Remember the word of the week is cataplexy, and I'll see you next week. Hello, I'm Dr. Rodriguez, and I'm here with the section Spanish, por favor. I want to teach you the Spanish word of the week, agruras. Agruras means heartburn, medical term parosis, and is typically described as a burning sensation in the retrosternal area, most commonly experienced in the postpandial period, but can be used as well when trying to describe reflux. The scenario would be a patient saying, Doctor, tengo agruras. Agruras is probably a common complaint among our chili pepper lovers. Patients with agruras may require additional evaluation if they have reflux, such as weight loss, hematemesis, loss of appetite, vomiting, or more. Now you know the Spanish word of the day, agruras. All you need to do now is assess your patient's heartburn. For your sanity. Doc, doc. Who's there? Disease. Disease who? Disease, the worst disaster I've ever seen. (laughs) Hey, what is the anesthesiologist ABC? Away? Book? Share. Now we conclude our episode number 11, Chlamydia with Cloud. Remember to order a test of cure for all of your positive chlamydia patients who are pregnant and retest everyone after three months of treatment. Don't forget to treat the sexual partner as well, or partners, to prevent chlamydia reinfection. It is permissible to send a prescription for the partner even if you have not seen them. Cataplexy is an interesting symptom in narcolepsy. Although uncommon, you need to recognize it when you see it. And if you have heartburn after eating that pizza, remember the Spanish word of the day, agruras. See you next time. And that's the end of Rio Bravo Q Week. We say goodbye from Bakersfield, California, a special place in the beautiful Central Valley of California, United States, a land where growing is happening everywhere. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency.com at clinicasieravista.org or by visiting our website 
at riobravofmrp.org backslash kiwi. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. Our podcast team is Hector Ariaza, Claudia Carranza, Yodizi Rodriguez, Terence McGill, and Fermin Garvendia. Audio by Siraj Amrutia. See you soon! <laughs>